Well, good morning. Come on. Okay. So you can go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Um, we're going to pick up where you all left off last week. We'll be in verses 2 through 15 today. Uh, just a quick introduction. I'm Rusty Dawson. I'm one of the elder elects at Redeemer Borger. Um, this is my wife, Krista, and my daughter, Brittany. Uh, we've been with Redeemer Borger since it was just a couple of little families meeting in a living room, and we have been uh, extremely blessed to watch it grow over the last couple of years into the church that it is today, um, and I couldn't be more thankful for this opportunity to come and be a part of y'all's service here in Dalhart, and also happy Father's Day to any of the fathers. Uh, today's not going to be a, a beat-up sermon on fathers to be better, so don't worry. Um, but with that being said, we'll, we'll jump into it. So in today's text, we'll see a little bit about ourselves and the way that we try and earn our salvation and the way that the world or the culture constantly tries to pull us back into a works-based righteousness. And I bring this up because it's true of us. Whether we've been, have given ourselves to Christ or not, our sinful flesh and the world or the culture around us it is constantly trying to drag us away from the grace of Christ by moving us backwards to the law. And I think we can all identify with this, right? That our flesh and the culture are constantly trying to give us this list of do's and don'ts in order to justifiably be a good or righteous person. But they're never good enough. And it seems like the list just keeps growing and growing and mounting new burdens on our shoulders. In just the last few years, we've heard things like, you have to do this thing or you're not really loving your neighbors. Or you have to be accepting of this thing or you're not really loving your neighbors. Or you have to act and believe this way or you're not really loving your neighbors. And if you're not really loving your neighbor the way that the world says that you should love your neighbor, then you must not really be a Christian. But you see, we're not justified by the way that we love. If we were, we wouldn't be justified by faith alone and Christ alone. We'd be justified according to our works. And this is the point that Paul is making in our text today. That it is in faith alone through Christ alone that we have been freed from the slavery of the law and it is in his perfect obedience and love that we are justified, which manifests itself in us truly loving our neighbors the way God has commanded us to. And now I want us to think about this throughout the text today as we're moving through it. So I want, want you to hear that again. It is in faith alone through Christ alone that we have been freed from the slavery of the law and it is in his perfect obedience and love that we are justified, which manifests itself in us truly being able to love our neighbors the way that God has commanded us to. So if you're in Galatians 5, I'm going to begin in chapter, uh, verse 2. It says, look, I, Paul, 
say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In verse 7, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So if you'll remember uh, last week, Paul, he sort of took us back to the book of Genesis. He gave us this picture of a free woman and a slave woman. And Paul's point was that in Christ, we are free from the bondage of the law. And Paul ended by saying, stand firm in this freedom that Christ has given you and never again submit to the slavery of the law. And then in our text today, Paul continues to remind the Galatian church of this freedom and what it means for them. But Paul gets a little bit more specific about the issue that this church is facing. And in this first verse here, Paul begins to make an appeal to the Galatian church, which is made up of mostly Gentile believers. And Paul begins with saying, look, I, Paul, the one whom God called to preach the gospel, as you've seen in chapter one, verse 11, the one whom received direct revelation from Christ himself, as you've seen in chapter one, verse 12, the one who was given the right hand of fellowship by the other apostles to preach the gospel to the uncircumcised, as you saw in chapter two, verses seven through nine. He says, I, Paul, who has been given the authority by God to preach the gospel, I am pleading with you not to accept this false teaching that has crept into your church. But that leaves us with a question, doesn't it? What is this false teaching that has crept into the church? Well, we can clearly see in the text that Paul is talking about circumcision. But according to the Old Testament, circumcision wasn't a false teaching, was it? So what is Paul referring to? Well, let's look at the Old Testament for a moment. You can turn to Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to see what it says about circumcision. 
Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 14. He says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. And any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So ultimately, circumcision was a sign for the Jewish people that they were inside of the covenant that God had made with God, uh, that God had made with Abraham and the blessing that it brought. So what ended up happening was circumcision sort of became this major identity issue with the Jewish people. Essentially, if you were circumcised, then you were identifying with the Jewish people and you was a part of the bigger Abrahamic covenant. So just as an example, I was infantry in the army and all through basic training, we were told about how we were this special breed of people right? Because who in their right mind joins the military in the middle of a war to be infantry? Now, as an infantryman, there's a badge. It's called the CIB. That stands for Combat Infantry Badge. Now, this was a coveted symbol in the army. It showed that you fought in actual combat as an infantry soldier. And it was so coveted that it became this sort of identity for a lot of us. And if you didn't have one, then you were not yet worthy of being called a combat infantryman. So circumcision, much like the coveted CIB in the army, it became this sort of identity for the Jewish people and their families their slaves, even those that were coming in to be a part of them. But it was never meant to be a requirement of salvation. It was an act of obedience towards God. And eventually it became a work of the law. So what exactly is the deal here with circumcision? Well, we can see in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council met. They met to determine whether or not Gentiles entering the faith should be circumcised because the Jews were still pushing the act of circumcision as a means of justification and salvation. You can read in Acts chapter 15, verse one, it says, but some men came down from Judea and we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, 
it was determined in this council that because they were not Jewish, they did not have to follow the Mosaic law, which meant the Gentiles didn't have to get circumcised. And this council met just before the letter of Galatians was written. At least most scholars believe so according to the dating of the letter. So this problem that Paul is facing is that there are still some Judaizers opposing Paul and the Gentiles, trying to convince them that circumcision is a necessary requirement of salvation. But Paul stands firm. He tells the Galatians that if they do accept circumcision, then Christ will be of no benefit to them. Which brings us to verse three. In verse three, Paul makes a very simple point. If you accept one point of the law, you must accept all of the law. So here's the thing about the law. It was a way for the Israelites to maintain their justification before a holy God. And they were not required to just keep some of the laws. They were required to keep all of the laws. And when the people failed to keep the laws, they were able to come before a priest, offer a sacrifice, and receive atonement for their failures at keeping the law. So what Paul is saying here makes a little more sense. If you accept circumcision, a law, you're required to keep the whole law because now you have submitted yourself to it. See, you didn't get to pick and choose which laws you would follow and which ones not to follow. It was all or nothing when it came to the law. Essentially, you became a slave to the law. And as a slave to the law, you're severed from Christ because you cannot serve two masters. And Jesus points this out in Matthew 6, 24. And this moves us into verse four. But I want us to think about this word justified. What does it mean to be justified? To be justified is to be found not guilty, not condemned and completely innocent. And listen, we have to get this right. It's been said that the doctrine of justification is the very doctrine on which the church stands. If we get justification wrong, then everything else that we teach is for nothing. And for the Christian to be justified is to be standing before God and hearing not guilty. You're not condemned. You're completely innocent. That's good news. It's the best news that we're ever going to hear. So if you're a Christian, because you are in Christ through faith, you are justified before God. Not according to your keeping of the law, but according to the perfect obedience of Christ. Dr. J.I. Packer, he puts it this way. Justification is God's act of remitting the sins of guilty men and accounting them righteous freely by his grace 
through faith in Christ on the ground, not of their own works, but of the representative law-keeping and redemptive bloodshedding of the Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf. You see why justification is so important for us to get? It's the gospel. It is what Jesus came to accomplish on our behalf so that we might be right with God. So the point that Paul is making here is that those who are trying to justify themselves according to their own law keeping, they've severed themselves from Christ. They have fallen away from grace. Because you are either justified by the law or you're justified through faith alone in Christ alone. You're either in a covenant of works and slavery or you're in a covenant of grace and freedom. That's the whole point that Paul was making last week. Moving into verse five, because of our justification in Christ alone, we have hope. That is our final righteousness. By the power of the Spirit, through faith, we wait in hope for that final day when Christ, who is our righteousness, appears and all is made right. That day when our sanctification will be complete, we receive our full righteousness and we will glory in the presence of our Savior. What a day that will be. That is what we eagerly wait for. That is what we put our hope in. And so we end this first section in verse six, for in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The only works that matter are those done through faith in love. According to J.V. Fesco, Paul's point here in verses two through six is this. Paul once again reminds the Galatians that concerning salvation, circumcision or, or uncircumcision was immaterial. Within the broader context of Galatians, Paul is saying that whether one was a Jew, circumcised, or a Gentile, uncircumcised, obedience to the law or racial identity counts for nothing. Faith alone and Christ alone brings salvation and justification. And faith produces the fruit of love. Or as Paul states it, faith working through love. Now this isn't to say that the law itself has no purpose unless you're a Jew. The law is fulfilled in our loving God and loving our neighbors. Romans chapter 13, verse eight says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Just a couple of verses over in Romans chapter 13, verse 10, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And then here in Galatians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 14, 
It says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And again, in James chapter two, verse eight, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. Jesus, he tells us that we will know his people by their fruit. So we must ask ourselves, are we known by the way we love or are we known according to our own self-righteous law-keeping? See, the Galatians, they were known for their love. We see this in the next few verses. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? They were running so well, bearing the fruit of love through faith. And now you can almost sense the disappointment and the sadness in Paul. He loved the Galatian church. He did not want to see them or anyone else be led astray. So at this point, it's obvious that someone has come in to the church and began to preach a false gospel, trying to persuade the Gentile believers into thinking that if they weren't circumcised, then they weren't really saved. And this persuasion, Paul says, this teaching, it is not of Christ, and it's not from him. It is the Judaizers who have come in and began swaying people back to the law. Paul then goes on in verse nine, and he gives this short, sussant reminder that a little leaven, leaven leavens the whole lump. A leaven is this fermenting agent. It's used to ferment bread, but in a figurative sense, when we see it in scripture, it's being used to refer to sin or wickedness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through uh, 13, Paul gives this little teaching on leaven or sin and, and how it works in the body. He says that a little bit of sin, is it causes the whole lump to be sinful. And we are that lump. He goes on and he says that we should purge that sin out of our lives and be made into a new lump. Paul then goes on and he talks about not associating with believers who are caught up in willing sinfulness, lest they rub off on us and we ourselves become wrapped up in the same sinfulness. He says to purge yourselves of those people. What Paul is getting at here is that a small amount of influence or sin can influence the entire body of the church and ourselves. So we must be careful about the influences that we're allowing into our lives. And while this false teaching, like any false teaching, can begin to take over a church, Paul is confident, he says, that they will embrace the truthfulness of the gospel. Paul is also confident that whoever is troubling them will bear the penalty for it because God is faithful in honoring and protecting his church. 
Listen, the church can't die. The building can be closed and those people can be dispersed, but the church doesn't die because God protects and cares for the faithful. And then Paul ends this section with a little bit of a defense because the same people trying to sway the Gentiles into getting circumcised are the same people that have been persecuting Paul for his preaching of the gospel. You see, the cross is a stumbling block to those who would seek to earn their justification by the law. Justification by faith alone, through Christ alone, it goes against everything that our flesh and this world tells us is correct. From the moment we're born into this world, we get told that we have to earn our keep in this world. If you want to be a good person, you have to complete this ever-growing list of do's, but don't you dare go near that list of don'ts. See, Jesus, Jesus just says, come to me, because my burden is light and my yoke is easy. So the cross is a stumbling block to anyone seeking to earn their own salvation. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the offense of the cross is this, that I am so condemned and so lost and so hopeless that if he, Jesus Christ, had not died for me, I would never know God and I could never be forgiven. And that hurts, that annoys, that tells me I am hopeless, that I am vile, that I am useless. And as a natural man, I do not like it. And then Paul, he says that he wishes the person uh, would emasculate themselves the same way they are telling the Gentiles to. Now, I do not believe that Paul was wishing a literal and physical self-harm on those people but he was using the word sarcastically and figuratively, saying that he wishes that they would cut themselves off from the church. But whichever way you read this warning, we have to remember the point that Paul is making to be careful about the teaching and influences you allow to go on inside of the church. This brings us to the final section of our text today. Beginning here in verse 13, Paul gives this reminder that we are free. See, in Christ, we have been called to live in freedom. But this freedom is not a freedom to continue living a life of sin and rebellion against a holy God. If we have truly experienced the life-changing power of the life death, and resurrection of Christ. If we have been empowered by the Spirit, then we have been freed from the slavery of the law and free to simply love one another. See, gospel freedom is loving your neighbor the same way that Christ has loved us. 
Paul's telling them, look, if you really want to fulfill the law, then love your neighbor. And neighbor does not mean brother or sister in Christ who's sitting next to you right now. Neighbor doesn't mean your physical neighbor at home. It's everybody. Because we're all made in the image of God. So we have to ask ourselves, how am I loving my neighbors? Am I known for my love? Do we treat those around us with respect? Do we treat those around us as we ourselves want to be treated? Do we look out for the interests of others before our own? What about this? Because this is common. What about when we hear a rumor about someone? Do we pass it along? Do we become a part of the problem by giving in to the desires of the flesh and cause only strife and division in our churches? Or do we lovingly and truthfully respond, asking them not to use us for gossip and slander? Because gossip, much like leaving, it spreads like cancer through the body of a church. So are we seeking to serve others or serve ourselves by looking like the hypocritical Pharisees doing all the good works, but not truly loving our neighbors? These are all questions that we need to think about. And Paul has one more warning down in verse 15. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, the law is good at building up these self-righteous and hypocritical Pharisees. The law begins to put neighbor against neighbor. It says, look how much better I am at keeping the law than you are. And we've all experienced this at some point in our lives. What happens is people begin going behind each other's backs and spreading rumors about how much this person has failed and then at the same time, they turn around and they say, look how good I am. Now, I've personally been on both sides of this type of gossip and I can tell you it's, it's not good. This type of attitude and pride, if not only consumes our private lives, but it consumes our corporate lives. And that is why Paul is saying, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So the fruit of works-based salvation is pride and destruction. It's hate and division. But the fruit of the gospel is peace and love for one another. And we cannot love as we should without faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the band, if y'all want to go ahead and come on up. So we need to remember, we live in a world where our flesh and the culture is always trying to pull us back 
from the grace of Christ. You have to do this and that if you really want to be a good and righteous person. But the gospel says that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect and obedient and righteous life, that he was hung on a cross and bore the penalty of God's wrath. He was buried and rose again three days later in order for us to be freed from finding our justification in the law. Freed from sin, freed from death, and freed from Satan. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are clothed in the perfect righteousness and obedience of Christ. We stand before God perfectly justified. And that is the most amazing news that you're ever going to hear. But if you're outside of Christ, then the law is all you have. And its way is death because you'll never be able to keep the law the way God expects it to be kept. That is why we need Christ. We are either slaves to Christ or slaves to the law. And today you can make that choice. Today you have to make that choice. Will I put my faith in Christ or will I put my faith in the law? Don't leave here today without talking to someone and making that decision. Let's pray. Lord, again, uh, I thank you for this amazing opportunity to, to come to Dalhart and be a part of this service and, and proclaim your word. God, I pray for the safety and protection and love of those here at Liberty Baptist and that they continue to move forward faithfully, standing firm in your word. And Lord, I continue to pray for those in, in Perryton. And Father, I thank you for your son. And may we all be given the faith to believe and be freed to love. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing together? What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I
The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Jesus bled and suffered for my part. 